listening to The Home Recording Show, hosted by Ryan Canestro and John Tidy. Find us online at homerecordingshow.com. Welcome back with us today, John Tidy at epicsounds.ca, reaperblog.net, and audiogeekscene.com. Hey, guys. Trenton Hall. You can't find him anywhere. <laughs> Say hi. Hi, I'm Trenton Hall. <laughs> and I'm Ryan Canestro, and um, you're not going to find me anywhere either. You can find us on Twitter, John at the Audio Geek, and me. Um, you're not going to go there. Don't worry about it. Emails, John <laughs> or Ryan at homerecordingshow.com. I will answer those. If you're shopping on Amazon, click through our link. They'll break off a piece and send it our way. Click the tip jar for one-time or reoccurring monthly donations. The archives tab's near the top of our page. Check out every show we've done. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash homerecordingshow. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review while you're there. And uh, this show will probably air as we hit seven years of doing this show. Not that we've done too much in the past two years, but yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, uh, oh, memories. <laughs> and today's segment will be basically incorporating studio effects into your live sound. So this last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, uh, Trenton and I did the annual thing that we do. Uh, you've been doing it for three years with me now, right? Three years, yeah. Okay. Uh, I've been doing it for four, and this event's been going on for 13. It's basically like a, an overblown backyard party. It's called Burbstock. happens in Burbank. And uh, we had, I think, 13 people on stage at one time? Uh, 14. 14. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's like a small backyard, but an insane setup to make it all work. So um, what we did in the past, we had a Mackie board, a couple mains, a couple monitors, and uh, that was all uh, good and well. But then uh, two years ago, Trenton came in, and you have the uh, Behringer X32, right? Yeah, I'm running the Behringer X32 rack, and then we put that into a wireless network, and we run that off an iPad. So um, since it's a really, really small space, I mean, it's the smallest backyard I've seen, um, we don't run a front of house at all to save room on space. So people freak out in the audience uh, when they see the iPad. They can't believe that's happening. So uh, the cool thing about that and what got me thinking about this, and since he and I are sitting in the sun all day for 12 hours at a stretch, <laughs> we started talking about what can we do. And because we have unlimited compressors, EQs, plugins, routing, uh, we thought, well, what can we do in the studio that we have been doing for years that we can start doing live? And... Uh, that's why he's here now. We're, we're going to play with some stuff, but we thought might as well talk about it and uh, do a little show around it. How's it make you feel, John? That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so first up was, uh, on my mind, parallel compression. So we do it all the time in the studio, especially with drums or even vocals, where we'll take a kick drum, snare drum, even combine them together, throw them to a bus, compress the shit out of them, maybe EQ it as well, and then you get that pumping, grinding, maybe even a little distortion, and you mix that back in with the original signal, and you kind of tuck it in just underneath it, and it'll add power and impact with, uh, without being obvious what you did. Yeah, it just uh, really thickens everything up, um, adds grit if you want that, and uh, adds a lot of vibe. It brings up that room tone or any of the bleed in those mics almost as much as the direct sound of those mics. It's something you almost have to do 
it's it's almost impossible to get a good mix without some parallel compression. You got to uh. find a clip of Christopher Walken right there doing the cuz you gotta. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a clip of just some raw drums. Now here's a clip of those drums compressed until they barely have any life left in them. Now, here we are sneaking a little bit of that compressed signal right behind the original signal, and you can definitely hear a difference in how punchy that is. And uh, another thing that I'll do when I'm recording drums, uh, two other things, is put a microphone right in the middle of the room, which uh, usually I like to pick the worst microphone I have and let it just distort and push the preamp too hard and do that. You can also simulate that uh, in the, the whole Behringer system because you can route it to another bus and then there's uh, distortion plugins, right? Mm-hmm. We have some distortion plugins. Uh, most of them are um, guitar amp plugins and th- that kind of simulator. And they sound awful on guitars, but actually you can use them for drums. Yeah, and uh, on a side note, I've used those for vocals uh, as well to kind of get that um, killer's kind of effect, the blown out radio. Little stank on it? Little stank. <laughs> <laughs> so here we have our original drums again. So this time we're going to bus everything, overheads, kick, snare, whatever you got going on, into a bus and distort the crap out of it. So here are those drums with the distortion brought up behind it.
And now let's combine it all together. Here's the distortion plus the parallel compression. It's really cool with the the flexible um, new digital mixers that we have, like the X32 um, and some of the others, that you can actually do all this stuff um, and set up really easily without even like connecting any wires. You can route all this stuff and try it out in real time. Yeah, Pretty and cool. a quick tangent. Um, I've I've pretty been been pretty adamant over the years about Behringer being awful and keep it out of the signal path. Um, they finally made an exception, and uh, it's pretty amazing how good this thing sounds. And I'm sure teaming up with Midas didn't hurt things at all, but the the thing sounds fantastic. The routing options are crazy. The amount of things you can do with it are absolutely insane. And the price point is a tenth of anything that's going to compete with it in the market. Uh, the Yamaha is probably the next one up. So the the rack we were using, we don't we didn't have the board. It was just the rack plus the iPad. Uh, about fifteen hundred bucks, um, and then you That's go cool. up to about twenty five hundred bucks to have the board. The next thing up from that would probably be the Yamaha, and you're probably in the thirty five hundred range. And then, yeah. then it just there's an Allen and Heath. Okay. That's that's kind of similar. There's a sixteen channel. I just had a post about it on the Reaper blog um, because you can use it as a control surface for, uh, oh, yeah, for Reaper, but it, do, it but it does have um, included effects, and it's kind of one of those transition boards that can work in a rehearsal space small live venue or in the studio so it's it's so it's, so it's like a 16 channel usb audio interface um, with control surface with built-in effects for every channel very cool yeah so that's probably very similar to the x32 console the compact one mm -hmm. yeah the the full board for the x32 is running at 2300 currently um, and I believe the rack dropped down to 1100 because wow. it had to compete with the QSC touch mix, which came out, um, which came with some preloaded effects, preloaded EQs that made it kind of really easy to use. Um, and then I think the Mackie came out with a board similar setup. Yeah. And, and they all had to come down because Behringer did it and they did it so well, they had to compete and yeah. that's awesome for us. Now that rack, uh, does that also work as a audio interface? Like, could you use that in the studio? Yeah, you could. Um, it's got a USB on the back to use it for interface. But it only mixes down to stereo unless you have the producer pack, correct? If you're going to record um, off the board, like via U like a USB drive, it's going to be a stereo left-right from uh, from the board, like the main left-rights. Um, if you get the, the producer version of the X32, it you can do individual tracks off each fader. Okay. So the uh, the straight up model is pretty much just going to get you. Well, you could do some interesting routing because there are additional outputs, but you you still have to bust things down and kind of do it in a roundabout sort of right. way. So th that's not really what it's made for. No, it can no. record the full mix, but not it's not made for multi tracking. No, not the not the rack or the um, the just X thirty two full, but okay. um, the producer version is made for the studio um, to get individual tracks. How much does that one? It's not too much more. It's a smaller board, um, so you don't have like your full fader setup. But um, 
I think it's only maybe 100, 200 bucks more. And if I get one, I'd definitely go that route. So I could use it in the studio if I wanted to. I could use it in the field if I wanted to. Um, that, that'd be the most versatile for me. And then you could still run it off the iPad. Yeah. Yeah, iPad remote. So getting back into uh, that whole idea for the segment, uh, another thing you could do is take DI'd guitars and run them in and use the amp sims if the guitar sound on stage is absolutely atrocious, like we find in the studio pretty often. So it's uh, not as good as reamping, but there was even a session in the studio where the guy insisted on having his horrible amp because he was used to hearing that sound for tracking. So I knew to take the DI, but even once we got an hour into tracking, he was so fatigued by hearing that amp in his headphones, I had to use a Sans amp to get him through the rest of the session. So that is definitely an option if you have something on stage that's just absolute garbage and you do run it through a DI first for an electric guitar, you could run it through a SIM. And um, wouldn't recommend it, but definitely an option and uh, could save your butt. I'm sure that the SIMs are okay if you do a lot of EQ after the fact. Um, and how, like, how is the EQ, um, controlling the EQ through the iPad? It's fantastic. You just kind of touch the uh, EQ where you want it and drag it. Is it, it's like a seven band parametric? Uh, like let's see. I think it's four. It's, 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 I think it's five. And then you have the low, um, the low pass or the high pass. Sorry. There's, a, I thought there was a high pass and a low pass There's and then two. four bands in the middle. I think the, the high pass has to be used as your fourth. So it might narrow you down to two. Hmm. Okay. But either way, it's, it works really great. You touch drag, you can like spread your fingers to make it, you know, wider, narrower. <laughs> and um, and then you also have, in case you're looking for like a certain frequency, like I like to zap out 1.6 on the vocals um, in pretty much any live setting I do. Um, you can actually use like a rotary knob that will give you the frequency that you're on. So it's not, so you can get really specific. You're not guessing so much. It's kind of like some of the nicer EQ plugins that we use in our DAWs, but with uh, touch controls. Cool. And it's super easy to use because I hadn't used this system in a year since I was with him last time. And he put the iPad in my hand and I just went whoop, whoop, whoop. And I started going through it and I kind of took a second to figure out the routing again. But once it, I, I kind of spent five minutes with it, I was pretty comfortable already. How about the flexibility of being able to walk around the room? Oh, we, we were sitting in the crowd. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of funny because uh, we pulled an extension cord so we can have power to the iPad. And then I ran a mic cable with an SM57 on it uh, to use our talkback. And I had to run mm -hmm. that from the stage. And that was the only cable running to us. And then we'd hit the little button on the iPad. Then the talkback mic would come live. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's um, what's really nice, especially if you're working with someone like Ryan, if, um, if you were to have a laptop or an iPad or anything like that, you can always bring him into the wireless network and um, you can break up the mixing saying, hey, can you handle the drum kit or set up that cool verb while I work on the vocals? to get something to cut through. Or I guess you could even do monitor mixes. Yeah, a lot of people will break up monitor in front of house. Um, but yeah, it's, so you have two iPads working on it at the same time. Yeah, you can do That's iPads, awesome. laptops. I mean, you can control from the actual interface itself. It's, it's really easy to use. It's nice. yeah, I should have brought my, uh, my laptop. Yeah, next time we'll do that. And then um, as a backup, a lot of people don't like to rely on the wireless because you know some people don't understand the IT of it all. You can also just do um, a Cat5 cable to a laptop, and that's your snake, you know? Yeah. Cool. And then you're hardwired in. Yeah. So it might not be a bad idea to have both. Is it like Wi-Fi to the iPad? Well, he brings his own Wi-Fi. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you just bring your own router. Yep, bring your own router. You know, you can pick them up at a, at a Goodwill for 10 bucks at this point because you're not going to need <laughs> yeah. to throw crazy far. Um, yeah. I happened to invest in a really, really high-end one because I didn't know what I was getting into. His had three antennas. Mine had three antennas. Yeah. And, it probably um, does help. I did test I'm it out sure. once. I walked uh, three blocks away from the venue and you could still see the motorized faders moving on the board three blocks away. Um, wow. And at that point, I just turned around and go, I'll never be this far away from my board to mix. <laughs> so you could mix from across the street. You could mix from home. Maybe if you could figure out how, yeah. to, uh, how to actually monitor each channel. It might not be a bad idea to get that app on your phone, too, and check out what, uh, what's on the, on, on the wireless in your neighborhood. Um, I, I have the app on my phone, but it'll tell you what channels are being used and how much each one is. So you can find some real estate there. Uh, definitely something to, to take a look at. Cool. The thing with the better router... Uh, is that it's going to have less interference and you're not going to have any, those dropouts. Yeah, one thing um, you would really want to pay attention to is um, hiding your SSID, um, making your network super secure. Yeah, you don't want people jumping on there trying totally. to get Wi-Fi. Well, and even just if you have 200 people in a room and their iPhones you know, detect a network, that's going to slow down your network and you're going to notice some severe latencies. That's that's one consideration a lot of people don't uh, think yeah, about. Definitely hide hide it. Yeah, don't even allow them to see it. So one thing that we did that was really cool, and uh, I think uh, blew Trenton's mind, <laughs> was uh, since we're in a backyard, you obviously do not need to mic the snare, even though a drummer came up to us and said he can't hear the snare drum um, when we, we were 10 feet away from it. Yes, you can hear the snare drum, but we did have an overhead mic, and we didn't need to throw more drums into that backyard, but it would have been nice to have some snare reverb. So what we did was we sent that overhead to a bus, uh, kept that fader all the way down, and then put reverb on that. So we just got the tails. Okay. So the uh, the direct sound was coming straight off the drums with no amplification, but we had we had our, our reverb. That's cool. Yeah. And and um, and you could even EQ that. Yeah, we did EQ it. Yeah, we took all the low end out. I took um, a ton of low end out. Totally. And then definitely rolled off the highs uh, at 5K. So it took a big big chunk of the highs off too. Yeah, and for that being my first time hearing something like that, honestly, um, it sounded really great. It took a backyard gig, which tends to be a little thin sounding, um, and it gave that the drums that really big, huge sound. Um, it really filled in the space and made everything um, feel a lot bigger than it was. Yeah, we got a little hint of arena cool. rock with uh, <laughs> you know seating for maybe 200 shoulder to shoulder. Yeah! <laughs> cool. Thank you, Cleveland. <laughs> what about monitoring, like um, at front of house? How how can you do um, headphone monitoring of not of stuff? You can't. Yeah, I haven't looked too much into the into the headphone monitoring. I'm I'm hoping to see that they either come out with or it's already there, and I just don't know about it. To be able to monitor off the iPad with a set of headphones, that'd be so great to be able to solo and things like that. Yeah, walking around the like room a pre-fader listen. Yeah. yeah. Um, they do have um, like monitor ins on um, on the actual rack and then on the actual boards too. You can do it from there, you know, just like you normally would. Um, but I'm I've yet to see if they have it on the actual iPad, and you can get the feed off there. And and they should hmm. be able to do it at some point. Um, and then also a laptop if you're hardwired with a Ethernet cable. There's plenty of bandwidth there. It either exists and we don't know, or it's going to exist soon. I think over Wi-Fi it might be a little tricky to get it like zero latency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having any latency in a live situation would probably 
really mess you up. <laughs> so Get your uh, noise canceling headphones out and yeah, I wonder if there's a way like you could just plug in a a transmitter to the back and like just have like the uh, like the Bose noise canceling wireless yeah, headphones could, or something. Yeah, and we we could like easily that. do that. I could take some of my uh, location stuff, send a feed off the headphone amp directly back to us, and yeah, we absolutely could. But uh, it'd be nice if it all kind of happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it would be great to just to like to plug into the the headphone jack on the iPad and hear what the or descending, or individual tracks, whatever you need. It'd be awesome. Then you could go to the bathroom and keep mixing. <laughs> <laughs> or you just put compressors on everything and it mixes itself. I, I must confess, I have gone across the street from the venue once and kept it going because it was a it was a rooftop party, and uh, we'd yeah. use that for reference for sound complaints to bring certain things down. <laughs> so you can awesome. get some good range out of those things. And then um, another thing that was kind of cool on there is... You have gates, which uh, obviously you would, but there's also expanders. And I think a lot of people don't really use expanders much, but they were actually fantastic at controlling feedback once we had 73 people on stage. Because <laughs> the last band of the night, and we did get up to 14 people, and it got ridiculous up there. We had we had so many open mics. I mean, the amount of space, it was like every two and a half inches was an open mic. It was, it was pretty... It was... Yeah, we had, we had like all 16 going, right? And yeah, we had all 16 channels being used. Um, and it wasn't like they were easy mics too. We, ha- I mean, we had violins on stage. We had guitars that were switching into the <laughs> the DI for the horns, you know, whenever he was changing instruments. And the microphones would, would move on stage. They would go from oh, here yeah. to there or grab and this guy would come up and a different guest would come up. Yeah, so by the end of the night, I just started naming the mics by color, position, or person, just following where it went. <laughs> So yeah, adding the expander, uh, instead of it just being a sharp cutoff, to kind of get it down to minus 6 or minus 12 when it wasn't being used, but it was still on. And then that way, if someone, some random person grabbed it and started talking into it, uh, you didn't have to chase down which one you're muting or, you know, writing the faders on manually. Hmm. Because we we just didn't know what was going to happen, ever. Hmm. So you're expanding by like 12 dB? Uh, I think I think on on two of the worst ones up front, it was somewhere in that neighborhood. Hmm. And is it the type of expander that just pushes it down? It doesn't bring up the level as well. Uh, it seemed to just kind of push it down until someone jumped Basically, above the threshold. A gate, but not at an infinite. Uh, yeah, it was almost kind of like ducking. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really good to hear that all the stuff is on it is seems to be usable. Yeah, I've definitely gotten my use out of uh, all the like functionality for the X32. I mean, we like using the gates and the uh, and the expanders. You'll have to choose between those, obviously, but um, then you also have a, a separate one for dynamics for uh, any sort of compression or ducking you can set up too. I mean, you can even set up like side chaining on it. Sweet. Yeah, and then you have tap tempo with the delays and all kinds of stuff like that too. And how do the delays and reverb sound? They sound pretty good. Um, Trenton had put a plate reverb on vocals, right? Yeah, we did a plate, and it was it was actually nice. As soon as uh, it was a little tinny on the top, as plate reverbs are, and then once we rolled it off, um, it sounded really nice. It would it added a little bit of tail, a little bit of warmth, uh, just a, a, a just what you would need, um, not overdoing it in a backyard party. Plus, he set up the mute groups so we can mute all of the just the sends. So when uh, in between songs, when they would talk, you hit number six, 
and then it would turn off all of the reverb, so then they would just be talking normally in between, and then they'd go back into the song, and the reverb would pop back on. Oh, cool. So you can assign groups and... Yeah, six mute of, groups. Yeah, you have six mute groups, and uh, I think six or eight DCH groups, which is really helpful. Um, like, at a live venue setting, you can, you know, set your whole drum set or uh, the whole rhythm section on, on one fader if you need to. Cool. Yeah, I didn't mean for this to be a commercial for the unit, but <laughs> it's so cool to have all of these tools in a live environment. And a lot of us coming up for years and years, we're working on these analog boards. Uh, the digital stuff, it, it changed a lot. And until you were at the higher levels and bigger venues, you weren't able to play with the digital stuff. Now it's in backyard parties. Now, now all of us get to have it. And we'll probably all get to have it. I mean, why would you buy a Mackie board if it cost a grand? Um, an analog board when you can spend another 500 bucks and have a thousand compressors and EQs too. Yeah. And iPad support and, you know, everything. Yeah. And you've already got an iPad. So, I mean, let's play with it. Yeah, there is a cool function I've yet to try out probably cause it would just be too confusing. If people download, I think it's called, um, like X control Q the musicians on stage, it'll actually just be, you can assign them their own bus and it'll be their own monitor mix. So instead of having that confusing battle of, oh, I need more of Dave, well, I don't know who Dave is, they can actually assign the names and the only control they'll have is of their monitor. So there's no pointing fingers or anything anymore about, you know, feeding back, can't hear myself. Um, yet to try it out, but if you're a traveling band, traveling with your own PA, maybe you're doing a small tour, um, that could come in, in really good hands. Yeah, I would not do that for the one-offs, but if totally. you're traveling with people and, you know, it's your fault if you get feedback. So here are your controls. That No, that's really, really cool. Any uh, other thoughts you might have, John, that's something you do in the studio that you can now do live because it's all laid out in front of you? Um, well, how many... Delays and reverbs can you have set up at once? You can have four set up at once. Um, no, that's that's pretty close to what I would want, I think. Yeah. You know, like different lengths and um, different styles. But that's across all um, the all the mix buses, so not each individual track can't have you know four effects. Yeah. On yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not that that I expect. I don't. I don't expect to have. Uh, well, I kind of expect to have gate EQ. And some sort of other dynamics yeah. processor. But a, per channel, you can have limiter. an EQ, you can have dynamics, you can have, um, there's like five or six tabs for routing. Mm -hmm. um, so each channel does have all of that. But then when you mm -hmm. get into reverbs and delays, you've got your four stereo buses. Yeah. Yeah. So say okay, you're so, on... so no delays on individual tracks? No. Okay. So say you're um, cool. unhappy though with um, the compressor that you were using or you were looking for some sort of different effect. Um, they actually do have, like, same thing, compression plugins that you could use. Um, again, that would take up one of your four effects channels. But mm -hmm. maybe with what we were talking about with the parallel compression, that might be a really handy tool to use. What about um, expanding the system? Like, do they sell plugins? I haven't seen any plugins for sale. We should figure that out. I don't think, I've, yeah, I don't think there's been any. They've been doing updates on the firmware, and I think I got mm -hmm. a couple more out of there, and they loaded in some new presets which are cool to play with. I mean, you'll get some cool ping pong effects, you know, um, some drum treatments were there, um, like a kind of hanger uh, verb was there, but, you know, that's all using the plugins that are already in there. Cool. Well, it looks like uh, you can buy Waves bundles for the Behringer. Wow. Really? Yep. That's pretty cool. It's getting cooler and cooler. 
Yep. So yeah, you can buy the the platinum regularly two thousand dollars <laughs> on sale right now for six hundred forty nine. Forty five plugins, pop them right in there, and it says it's compatible. Yeah, maybe it's got that. What is it? Sound grid, some of that. They've got some live format. It uh, sounds like pretty impressive piece of gear. Yeah, and and we're talking fifteen hundred bucks for the rack. It's kind of silly. I think it's thirty five hundred for the full size. The original X32? It's 23. Okay, here, here we go. You have to have your computer hooked up, and it looks like the computer runs the plugins and then sends it down with either FireWire or USB to the um, the mixer. Yeah, I know that you can use the um, X32 as like and have an external DAW controller. They had uh, shown that before. That might be how they're doing that. Yeah, the plugins happen in the computer, but then you can route them. Still, okay. pretty cool. Now, what about uh, external gear? So if you had a hardware channel strip that you wanted on the vocal track, would you run that in line or could you use inserts? Yeah, well, you can send out and then back in. Okay. So uh, let's see. The Pretty much like using a DAW then. Yeah. So the mixer has uh, even more inputs than the rack. Looks like the rack's just 16. Yeah, the rack's 16, and then it can expand to another 16. You have to, you can buy like another unit that kind of connects to it, and then the the full mixer itself is the 32, hence the X32. Yeah, and then you can you can send uh, send out and then come back in on different channels. How many outs are on the rack? You have uh, eight XLR outs, and then two of those are going to be used for your left and right if you're thinking live. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then two for your uh, monitors, so you can eat up the first four pretty quick. But then you still have four mono outputs. Yeah, and you do have, um, I think, eight aux in, aux outs via quarter inch on the back as well, too. Do you have any complaints about the thing? <laughs> do I have any complaints? Give me a minute. Oh, it's taking him a second. Honestly, <laughs> I really can't think of any complaints on it. You know, for being my first board, and I've worked on a couple different boards... Um, in terms of, you know, what I'm paying, I'm paying around, I think it's dropped down to 1100 now versus anything else I can come up with on second hand. That's maybe an, even a cool analog board to have everything, you know, right there in such a small package and, you know, driving a small little scion car, like I do, I can bring a full sound system in one car load, you know, to a gig. And that's, what's really impressive to me. That's why I went with the rack instead of the full board, despite, you know, being able to get the full board. I've gotten so used to mixing on the iPod now that I almost prefer it because I like to walk around the venue or the the location and really listen from where people are listening to, which is really important to me. Yeah, it's nice to be able to be out and just hear it. Yeah, the uh, the venue I work at, the uh, front of house booth is actually, so it's like a two-story kind of space, and the front of house is on the second story, and they don't they haven't even set up uh, monitors up there for the front of house position. So in that case, it's almost become essential for me. And when you're working on stage with the musicians, you can come up there Say, you know, tell him, hey, I'm not seeing anything. Um, you know, you can work with him, change a couple of his plugs or check his battery or whatever, and then um, immediately see it on the board and be able to bring it in. So it's it's a, it's really cool because you get to work uh, a little easier in a lot of that human sense. It sounds like it saves a lot of time walking back and forth and yeah. checking stuff because you can see everything, uh, not pocket-sized, but, you know, with you all the time. Yeah, and the big board, it looks like you've got your 32 XLR ends. You've got aux ins. Um, there are eight of those, and then eight aux outs. Then um, you also have MIDI on both the board and on um, the rack. And then uh, on this board, 
then you have another 16 XLR outs. Plus, you have your monitor control room out. Cool. So, yeah, that's... And and 16 motorized faders. Yeah. Yeah. Or 17. Maybe. Yeah, with the master. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, snapshots, I guess. Yeah. You can do that yeah, as well? Yeah, you can do snapshots. Um, I tend not to use those as much, actually. Uh, too much seems to change band to band that um, unless you're going to sound check each, each individual band um, or group, it doesn't really seem to help because in a lot of cases, you're going to have to plan your inputs you know, according to each band uh, so that they're consistent. Because if you go from one band and then you were to do the snapshot to the next, um, you might have some differences in your inputs. And, you know, like especially with Aaron's band, we had 16 people, you know, 16 mics running uh, nonstop. And the stage plot we got changed immediately. It was the same all day until they got on stage. Okay, well, these guys are going to be on this side. These guys are going to be on that side. If we had done sound check or we had set that up to the stage plot, it would have done us nothing. Yeah, I tend to work continuously from my first... I'll usually sound check, you know, the headliner or support, whoever, you know, is there to do it. And then um, I'll actually build continuously off that snapshot. Because you might end up, you know, once people are in the room or something, um, you get that kick sound you really like. And if you were to snapshot, you're going to lose all that. Yeah, and tweaking as the room fills up and all that. I can see that. Yeah, you can't load a partial snapshot. No, you, you can't do a partial snapshot. And I don't think you can actually load a snapshot from the iPad. I think you, in in terms of my experience, I've had to actually go up to the physical board, you know, press the view button, and then load up the individual snapshot. I just want to hear him say snapshot over and over again. Snapshot. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any other techniques. What I like to do with mixes is have multiple delays and reverbs, combine them, and as long as you can have probably up to four sends on an individual track... I would have all of my options covered. Yeah. And it seems like you can. It seems like you can do pretty much anything you can think of. So question for you guys, if you had four FX sends, you know, how would you plan that out? We talked about parallel compression today, um, maybe having a short verb and a long verb uh, and mixing them in, you know, accordingly, and then maybe a drum verb. What would you guys do? I'd probably have a short verb, a long verb, uh, parallel compression, and then a delay on my four. Is there separate, like, main routing? Like, is there separate track routing from the sends? From each like, track like, you can like send. Like, if you assigned, like, is there a send from a DCA? Ooh, I don't actually know oh. if there's a send from a DCA. I think it's from each individual track you'd have to send. I don't think the DCAs have sends, though, no. Okay. It looked like, though, there were a couple other ways to send things, and, and the routing looked looked like you can go even deeper than what we were doing. What, what, what about inserts on a DCA, like a like an effects chain, or is that really just for the faders mutes? I think the DCA is just for the fader mutes. I haven't played too much with the DCAs because um, I tend to send everything individually. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that, but I don't think I don't think you can do inserts on the DCAs. Yeah. So to go back to your question, I would probably have uh, a short delay, kind of like a slapback, or something like that. Um, uh, a longer delay that's more discreet, like more heard as an echo. That would be tempo synced, probably sixteenth or eighths or quarters, depends on the song. I would have a very small reverb and a fairly large reverb, and both fairly dark sounding. Yeah, yeah. I'd roll the lows and highs off of of all of my re- reverbs and delay sends. Yeah, and I, and I, I tend to like 
do kind of a wide dip around 300 hertz on a lot of my buses to take out like 3 dB at 300 hertz or so, fairly wide. If I'm mixing in Reaper, a lot of times I will solo the uh, the reverb track and clean that up a little bit. And then every time I bring it back into the mix, it sounds better. So I, lo I love being able to solo reverbs and solo the delay returns, which has nothing to do with live. So Trent, what, what was the name of the club you're working at? It's called uh, Flyway at Fox in downtown Pomona. Okay. And how long have you been doing live sound? Um, I guess three years. I don't know. I started around when I met Ryan, maybe a little bit before that. My 21st birthday, I bought a PA, and that's really what got me started with bands. And you've been doing the Warp Tour for a while. I've been working on Warp Tour, not doing audio, of course, fraternizing and, you know, sitting down and having dudes teach you, you know, whatever they know. And everybody's got a different opinion on everything. But um, my experience started with um, live sound when I used to work at a, at a church um, in high school as an internship. That's a good place to start, honestly, because you get a lot of really good equipment you yeah, know, for at sure. your fingertips. Then I took a recording class at a, in college and got in the studio. Um, wasn't really my thing and um, started working in event programming and getting used to the live setting. Uh, so, And that's what got me started in uh, wanting a PA, wanting to get started with a board. Do you find that sound, like a lot of live sound guys have no idea how to gain stage, but will tell you <laughs> exactly how to do it wrong? Um, like no, it, luckily in my experience, uh, a lot of the guys I get to work with are really great at what they do. Um, I, I, I've been in a band and I've, I've, you know, gone to the club and worked with the sound guy and you walk away, you know, the sound guy's a dick. And um, I said I would never be that guy and I'd never really try and teach anybody anything other than maybe mic technique and a quick polar pattern thing um, so that they don't, you know, cup the mic or face the, face the 58 to the monitor you know, in between songs, yeah. anything like that. We were thinking about putting razor wire around the microphone, just like they do on the freeway overpass signs <laughs> here in L.A., so people couldn't cup it. Well, then we found a better idea. We just grounded, you know, in two different locations and electrified the grill. <laughs> For the first time in my life ever, I got shocked from the part of the plug that you plug into the wall while it was not plugged in. I was getting, somehow getting shocked from the XLR into the speaker and then I hadn't plugged it in yet, and that part shocked me. So awesome. there's definitely some grounding issues at that. Uh, let's call it a venue. Yeah, it was a it was a okay. venue. Um, funny moment yesterday. I don't know if you 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 talked to C Lab about this. Um, he ended up lifting up his whole DJ rig and putting down a tarp. And I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm trying to break the ground <laughs> because." Anytime I touch a screw on my DJ mixer, I get zapped real hard. <laughs> yeah, and everywhere underneath his feet was wet mud. Yeah, it was the worst situation for him. <laughs> Did he get assault? I don't know. Did mm. he stop getting shocked? I think he just stopped touching the screws. <laughs> I think he just I think he just drank enough to the point where it didn't matter because right. at that venue, beer's free. Yeah, that's funny. What's the worst musician at a live gig, generally speaking? Uh, Bass player, drummer? keyboardist or singer singers tend to be really good um i haven't had any had too bad of singers i think the worst person dealing with in terms of my venue which is a small cap uh you know 300 maybe max and it's a concrete tunnel um essentially 
with mirrors all on one side. <laughs> so, so I think the worst person to deal with uh, is a guitar player. And if you can get, if you can really sit them down before the gig and say, "Hey guys, stage volume. Like, I just need enough for you to hear yourself and groove on stage." Same goes for the bass, because um, it's a really small stage. So um, sometimes the the bass amp will really set off the gate for um, the kick drum. But I think it's usually the guitar player, uh, and that's what we dealt with yesterday. We were fighting on on one band on a mix that we were just, you know, going, hey, I can't really get what I want out of these vocals. And uh, we just, you know, kind of looked up at the stage and go, no, the guitar is too loud. We got to pull that out. Um, that seems to always be my issue at that venue, especially. Yeah. And for me, the worst is always drummers or percussionists. If there's a dedicated percussionist, he's the one because he <laughs> will want everything mic'd. And I've had this happen time and time again. Like, okay, we've got 16 inputs. There's six people on stage. We have some on the drums, some on the guitars. I've got three channels left. And he's like, but you got to mic all 17 of my things. Yeah, I, I did have a percussionist once now that I think about <laughs> it. We had uh, a left and right overhead um, and three dynamic mics between. He had like two congas and some like wood blocks, tambourine, and some cute little splash cymbal. And uh, yeah, it required that many mics to do his. Yet I think the drum kit requires the same amount of mics, maybe even less, depending on how many toms he's rolling with. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's also yeah. the drummer's like I can't hear the snare. It's like <laughs> it's sitting in your lap and you're hitting it. It's like a gun going off. And then um, needing more kick in the monitor. I can't I can't feel the kick. It's like how how could you not feel the kick? It's right it's right there. Your foot is physically feeling it. <laughs> and on that note, guys, preventative ear care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we had a drummer once in the studio, um, and we were playing. We were we were talking about cymbals and overheads and everything, and um, our professor gained up a certain frequency, and uh, he wanted to show you know how it's like ear piercing and it really it just you know vibrates your ears sympathetically, and um, we gained it up. You know everybody he blasts it real loud. Everybody covers their ears. And this one guy's sitting there not covering his ears, and he's like, "What are you guys talking about?" and uh, Turns out he actually has lost all ability to hear that frequency specifically um, in that narrow range. Yeah. Just right. from his cymbals. Yeah, from cymbals. Mm-hmm. So, drummers. Ear care. What was your worst gig experience? Where everything's going wrong or one big <laughs> thing went wrong? I've had the power go off at a live venue. They blew the circuit breaker when we had uh, a band going and a full house. I mean, like you couldn't get through the crowd and just everything. So that, that kind of sucked. And then it kind of came up in stages where now we can hear the guitar. Okay. Now the PA is back on that kind of stuff. Um, okay. So the worst gig for me, I was working with this group called the SoCal pop punk coalition. It was about no joke, no exaggeration, about 15 bands from the start of the day till about 10 PM at night. Um, on a pomegranate farm, which didn't really have good power sources, if you can imagine. It was an old house. Uh, we were running extension cords, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 feet, you know, from all different breakers trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, the day of show comes. We think we have everything figured out. Um, we've made a really adaptable setup that we can just, you know, move bands on and off. And um, before the gig, actually, my car got broken into, and uh, my X32... With my uh, road case, which is from System of a Down, I'll always miss that. If you guys see a road case, SOAD165, that's mine. Please get it back. Everything was taken, all my mics, XLR, everything. So I managed to purchase as much stuff as I could before the gig again. And uh, so my X32 had come in the mail. 
just unboxed it fresh out of the box, went to power it on, and it was totally dead on arrival. It was like a software issue, some you know, something you can't fix, even with a firmware update I tried. So um There we go. Now Behringer's back. And now Behringer's back. <laughs> so um I guess one of the guys that lived at the house had a little practice room and he pulls out this uh this five, six channel mixer, maybe uh, some I think it was a little Yamaha. Um, terrible little thing. And um, two of the channels are out on it. So I had three channels uh, for the entire day. <laughs> so we had to like directly pl- plug the bass guitar into the speakers, daisy chain it to the subs, and like actually adjust the speaker volume manually. We had uh, what we got through with um, we did kick, overhead, and then uh, vocal. And we any any additional vocals we daisy chained into the speaker itself directly, pain in the ass, worst day ever. But everybody actually said it sounded really good. We managed show to must handle go it. on. The show happened. Um, it's probably better than most of these guys have played. And uh, throughout the day, uh, we kept getting upgraded. Someone would show up with a ooh an eight channel mixer, and then I think by the end <laughs> of the day we were up to I think we were up to twelve, and uh, that was my day in a nutshell. Yeah, that's enough stress. Yeah. So I got to do, I got to work with a minimal uh, drum miking technique. Um, thank God for recording class. Um, kick and then overhead got me through a lot of what I needed. And then when I got those extra channels, I threw in a second overhead and did them stereo. Did John? What's your worst experience out there in the wild? One of my first gigs, um, I was in like a new metal band, and then I, when that broke up, I was just doing sort of like industrial rock stuff, like stuff programmed in FL Studio, and I had like one or two people with me and we did one show i don't know if it was a fundraiser or or what but ended up basically in a garden shed size (laughs) um place and the uh the fire department brought us a generator a gas generator that we put into a small room off to the side and our pa was like uh like a home hi-fi and it was like a laptop and and my bass amp and uh, somehow we played a gig. <laughs> Can you count that as and a gig? It, it, that, DIY. that wasn't the worst gig because that was fun and we got through it without any issues. But it's like how many like how makeshift can that be? Oh, that's pretty funny. Under a bridge too. It's also under a bridge. <laughs> Holly, Holly reminded me that it was under a bridge. It was like some sort of fundraiser for the skate park nearby, but. No one made any money, as far as I know. It was just weird. Like, we got signed up for this thing, and and then we ended up, like, having, bringing the PA and all this equipment, and, like, oh, shit, there's no power in this place. <laughs> there's actually no electrical hookups anywhere in the building. Wow. So it was an extension cord directly to a generator. Nice. I'm I'm shocked that the whole thing worked out. I'm shocked you didn't get shocked. Yeah. And this show's going so long and so free for me. Might as well just give Holly a mic and headphones at this point. <laughs> No, no, you don't want that. Yeah, let's wrap up. Uh, Trenton, it was a lot of fun uh, talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem, it's been fun. Thanks, guys. And he's actually here in front of me. This isn't like how me and John do it. I could actually see Trenton. I know he truly exists. Well, not if you close your eyes. John might be AI. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's video evidence of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a plug-in. (laughs) <laughs> think a plug-in would have better lighting <laughs> for the video that's how I, that's that's how they trick you to believing it's real 
All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks, guys. Thank you to everyone who comments and participates in the show. Thank you to Trenton Hall for stopping by and talking with us. Thank you to everyone who has donated. Thanks to John for all the long hours of editing the show. There might be plenty more where that came from. We'll see you um, when we do the next one. Thank you for listening. The guys will be back next week. Please go to homerecordingshow.com and leave your comments.